the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager in New York City spoke last night at Columbia University. And it was a wonderful dialogue. There, there were no, actually, turns out, no hecklers. I am not entirely certain. I have theories as to why I rarely elicit screamers uh, and uh, let alone violent disruptors and... I wonder if you folks have the theories. It's not like I'm not outspoken, and it's not like I and Prager U are not well-known. So I I do wonder why. Maybe it's that the the mode of my speech is, is on the calm side, even though I say very strong things. But anyway, it turned out exactly that way at Columbia University last night. And the students were intelligent, respectful. And then I went uh, for pizza with a good number of them, continued the dialogue. One of the most frequently asked questions I get from young people is what do they do in order not to sabotage their professional lives? Should they speak out or should they hide their sentiments, their opinions, their values? And I'm torn because I I, I feel for them. They know that if they speak out, they it, it, it will almost definitely have at least for a period of time a detrimental impact on what law school or medical school they get into. Do you know that medical schools, I think it came out on this show actually, medical schools are now asking routinely, I don't know if it's every medical school, but the overwhelming majority as far as I know, ask Applicants to their medical school, what have you done for social justice? That, that's really remarkable. What have you done for social justice? So I asked a young person about that, and they said they, uh, for law school, they had a similar question about their commitment to social justice or DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, 
You didn't have to answer it, but I have to believe that if you don't answer it, you're guilty. So the future generation of doctors is a, is either a bunch of woke individuals or people who have learned that they have to go along to get along. The idea of an independent-minded physician will become extinct. So they asked me this question, especially when we had time together afterwards uh, over pizza. What am I going to say to them? I mean, I told them my position. My position is that you ultimately you can't hide the rest of your life. So they might say, well, I'll hide just now just to get into medical school. And it's a very hard thing to answer. It happened on this program at least 10 years ago when a woman called me and asked me about her high school daughter. What should I tell her to do, Dennis? She knows that if she writes what she believes, she'll get a lower grade because the teacher is on the left, which is redundant in the vast majority of cases. So I said, look, you, you, I can't tell you what to say, but you are asking me. And I would say, I, I would say only this, that if you start compromising on what you believe for grades in high school, when will you stop? And I, I've never gotten an answer to that. Now, one could say they will stop but they got to get into a good college first. But there's no such thing as a good college. There's only such thing as a prestigious college. Talking in regard to that, by the way, uh, there is a, uh, a piece that I want to bring to your attention here. There was a, a hearing in, in Congress just, I, I guess it was yesterday, see what the story is here and it is reported in college fix here this is what happened calling for genocide of jews not always quote bullying elite college presidents say Demanding the genocide of Jews, quote-unquote, does not always violate school policies against, quote, bullying and harassment, according to the presidents of Harvard University, the University of Pennsylvania, and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik asked each president at Tuesday's hearing, that's yesterday's hearing, on anti-Semitism on college campuses, whether calling for intifada and killing Jews violates their campus policies. All should resign immediately, Stefanik said, as a result of their answers. MIT President Sally Kornbluff said it would, it would, that is, constitute bullying and harassment if the comments were targeted at individuals. By definition, calls for 
the genocide of a people is, is not against individuals. Cornblow said that calls for intifada could be, quote, anti-Semitic, depending on the context when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. Well, what is from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, if not calling for the elimination of, of Israel. And we know what the elimination of Israel means. I've always known it. But in case you were in doubt, October 7th let you know it meant murdering every uh, man, woman, and baby that is a Jew, who is a Jew. At the same time, her university currently teaches faculty and staff that using a gender dysphoric person's actual name instead of their new chosen name is a violent act. So if I say that Leah Thomas is really William Thomas, that's where Leah comes from, L-I-A comes from the L-I-A in William, the narcissist who decided to declare himself a woman and defeat women in women's swimming competition. I have more about more competitions that are being won by men who say they're women, by the way, and it's okay with the entire left. It's not okay with liberals, but liberals vote left, so... They are uh, philosophically not leftist, but they are, in terms of behavior, indistinguishable. But that is a matter that I address almost every day. I won't get into that right now. But I want you to understand, if you were to say that Leah Thomas is William Thomas, that is considered violent. But if you chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, that is not violent. That is not a call for violence. This is what the heads of Harvard, Penn, not Penn State, University of Pennsylvania, and MIT have stated. Penn's president made similar statements. If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. President Liz McGill said at the hearing. What does that mean? If calls for genocide uh, turn into conduct? Oh, oh, so, and then it's only harassment? So if they, let's say they start murdering Jews on campus, is that harassment? Then it, oh, then, oh, then we'll start taking it seriously? There were Jewish students at Columbia at my speech. And it's very different. It is very different what has happened over the course of the last 50 years. There's something to be said for being at the right place at the right time. Those words couldn't resonate more than when talking about buying gold. This is Dennis Prager for AmFed, Coin, and Bullion. It is my choice for precious metals. When you're buying a house, is your preference to buy when the mortgage rates are low or high? Would you prefer to buy gold when the price is low or high? Curiously, most customers wait to buy gold and then purchase when it's a panic buy with soaring prices. 
Mick Grovich, AmFed's owner, had a client recently tell him, I'd rather buy gold 10 months too early versus 10 months too late. Don't wait and panic. Timing is everything. Call Nick and his team at AmFed Coin and Bullion. Nick's been in the industry over 42 years, and he's proud of providing transparency and fair pricing to build long-term relationships. If you're interested in buying or selling, call AmFed Coin and Bullion for a free coin performance review. 800-221-7694, AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. Reading to you from the College Fix on the presidents of three universities appearing at a a hearing is Cole is the call for genocide of Jews allowed on your campus. I am asking specifically, Representative Stefanik asked, listen, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I have to laugh because it's sick. If I'm asking specifically, calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? And McGill, the president, uh, which one is she? The president of Penn, I believe. If it is directed and severe or pervasive. Oh, my God. I mean, the answer isn't just yes. You call for the genocide of Jews. So the answer is yes, Stefanik said. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman, the Ivy League president said. Calling for the genocide of the Jews is depending on the context, the Republican said. After a brief exchange, President McGill said the speech could become harassment if the speech becomes conduct. Oh, so if you start murdering Jews, then it's harassment. All of my life, I have warned my fellow Jews that they're aching to get their kid into an Ivy League school. It was idol worship, a form of idol worship. And I was right. I am not happy that I was right, but I was right. But it really doesn't matter now. I I don't know the difference. What is the difference between the University of Michigan, which is not Ivy League, and uh, and Penn, which is? I, I I can't think of much difference. Your child is brainwashed, or there's an attempt to brainwash your child to hate the West, to hate America, to hate truth, to hate debate. She then turned to Harvard President Claudine Gay, who gave a similar answer about context and the comments being targeted at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals, Stefanik said. I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of the Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? Gay said it could depending on the context, if it includes bullying, harassment, or intimidation. If genocide includes bullying, harassment, or intimidation, my my general sense is that 
genocide includes bullying. Yeah, I do. It's a tough call, but I'm up to the job. I'm up to the task. I suspect so are most of you. Asked to confirm that the language then does constitute bullying, President Gay said it, quote, depends on the context. All the question was, is calling for the genocide of Jews bullying and intimidating? And they can't get an answer from three Ivy League or two Ivy League and MIT presidents. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes. This is is Representative Stefanik. She's good. And this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. You want your child to go to a university that can't say that calling for the genocide of Jews is bullying and harassment? The answers drew criticism from Israel supporters. Yeah, I would hope that it would draw criticism across the board. Jews on these campuses need to leave, said Jewish News Service editor Caroline Glick, writing on X. We need to be done with them, except for the lawsuits. These need to be filed one after another after another until they are bankrupt. We can't win them back, but we can make them poor. Liberal Democratic Congressman Josh Gottheimer criticized the presidents as well. How hard is it to say that calling for the genocide of Jews is bullying and harassment? The New Jersey Democrat asked. Stunning that these university presidents can't give the right answer to a simple question. A liberal Democrat. Is he awakening to the cesspool that the left has created in our universities? That the cesspool, the moral cesspool that the left is? Why doesn't every Democrat, excuse me, every liberal announce who's in office or who writes or who speaks? I am not a leftist. I am a liberal. Why don't they announce that? They won't vote differently. They'll still vote for the left. But it, it still, it helps for moral clarity's sake. I mean, th- this is, this borders on the unbelievable that you can't say that calling for the genocide of Jews is harassment. But if you give the original name of a guy who says he's a girl, that is not just harassment on campus. That, my friends, is violence. Yep. Wow. There's a new one that just I just found out. Abigail Schreier has written this. Extraordinary work on the trans. Irreversible damage is the book. My Japanese publisher are very nice people, but by caving to an activist-led campaign against irreversible damage, they embolden the forces of censorship. 
My friends, I'm asking you to go online at DennisPrager.com and click on the Angel Tree Christmas banner to help make Christmas a reality for children with a mother or father in prison this holiday season. When you give today, your tax-deductible donation will combine with that of my other listeners to give 17,000 children of prisoners the joy of an Angel Tree Christmas, a special Christmas gift plus the Bible and a personalized note from their incarcerated parent. It's a very beautiful thing this Christian organization is doing. You don't have to be a Christian to believe it's beautiful. So please call 888-206-2801, or go to DennisPrager.com and click on the Angel Tree banner to bless a child this Christmas. Thank you. We're sitting in a, in a very, very difficult age. It's a dark period. There's no question about it. It is a dark period. That calling, I mean, that you have the heads, the presidents of Harvard, University of Pennsylvania, and MIT not be able to answer if somebody calls for the genocide of the Jews, is that bullying and harassment? It's, look, I knew this when I was at Columbia, where I spoke last night. When I was at Columbia in the 1970s, the graduate school, School of International Affairs. And I saw at Columbia when students who were against the war in in Vietnam would take over the offices of professors, deans, and I think even the president, and nothing happened to them. So I knew already in my early 20s that overwhelmingly, there's no such thing as everyone, but overwhelmingly, in order to qualify as a president or dean of an American university, you had to be a coward. And it it has only gotten worse. It would be very powerful if people with bright kids did not send their kids to elite universities, saved a fortune, sent their kids anywhere else. If your kid is bright and talented, they will succeed wherever they go. They will succeed if they don't go to college, unless they need a college degree for law or or for one of the sciences and math, but otherwise I've long, I've long advocated this. Can you imagine if you would spend the money on your, on your kids' education, bringing in brilliant professors like retired professors before woke anti-intellectualism took over at universities and you just hired them. You know what I'm going to have, we're going to get you, a uh, professor of history who's retired at the, from University of California, UCLA or UC San Diego, UC Santa Barbara, whatever it might be. And we're going to pay for you to go around the world and see how other people live in other countries. Yeah. Let, let them have 
the students who are okay with moral compromise go to these universities and let the, let the public then see the rot that has been caused there. Scary stuff. Truly. All right, let's see what you folks have to say here. Uh, Detroit, Michigan, and Mark, hello. Good afternoon, Dennis. Uh, fantastic show as always. Thank you, sir. Uh, my question is kind of related to what happened um, with the vaccine rollouts at multiple schools. And uh, you never heard any of these professors say, we have to protect the students' right to privacy, their medical privacy regarding vaccines, whether or not they want to get it, whether or not they want to be masked. And it's, it seems very similar to what's happening now. Well, you know, you, you make an interesting point because I, this is the way I would phrase your point, which was a totally valid one. I would put it in this way that overwhelmingly college presidents were angrier at students who wouldn't get vaccinated than they are at students who call for the destruction of Israel. That, that no one can deny. I pray, I, I, and I, well, I want to be uh, I so stickler for truth and honesty I don't tend to ask God for things because there are a whole host of reasons. But but in, in, uh, my motto is I'm more interested in what God wants from me than what I want from God. But uh, I I hope with great fervor that a lot of young people have not been hurt by the mRNA vaccines. We certainly know how many were hurt younger years by the lockdowns. We shall return. Dr. Fassbend. Are you listening, Doctor? Yes, yes, yes. Go on, go on. Dr. Fussband. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager with the male-female hour. The most honest talk I know of in the American media about men and women the reason it's honest is, A, I don't shy away from any subject. I'm very comfortable speaking about men and women and even about sexual matters. B, I'm not a man fan and I'm not a woman fan. I'm a good person fan. And it seems that the good Lord has made the same number of miserable men as miserable women. <laughs> the problem is they don't always marry each other. When it's when a good person marries a miserable person, that there's an unfairness built into life. Anyway, welcome to the male female hour, second hour every Wednesday. So, among the catastrophic, I try to not overstate, but it was catastrophic aspects of what we now call woke, but this is pre-woke. This is woke, pre-woke. One of the infamous feminist lines, a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. 
I can't think of a more destructive single line of my youth than that. I can't think of a more single line that is more destructive at any time uh, since World War II. I mean, there, there have been even more destructive ideas, but not in one sentence. Raising an entire generation of women to think that they don't need a man. Wow. Because all these uh, single women are, are just walking around happy and grateful, cheerful, a joie de vivre, a sense of fullness of life permeates and just gives them a radiance. Most depressed generation of young women in American history, according to the data that we have, certainly since data have been compiled. I've read to you over and over again how married men and married women and married women, once again, and married women are happier as a general rule. I'm well aware of divorce. I've been divorced. It's very painful. That is correct. However, I always compare divorce to car crashes. And the fact that most people are in car crashes does not argue against driving cars. The car is one of the blessings of life. Won't get into the anti-car crowd, which is the anti-joy-of-life crowd. Not the not the subject of this hour. So, a generation of women were raised to believe that. I recently met a young woman I have known for some time, and I've always liked her, and she's also, in addition to that, she's particularly intelligent, truly, truly first-class brain, has done very interesting uh, uh, academic work. She has an advanced degree from an Ivy League university, learned a number of languages, She, she and uh, she tended left of center, including though she would have always acknowledged she wanted to get married, meeting a man was not uppermost on her mind. She she really wanted to be successful professionally. So I recently met her with her fiancé, a man that... Uh, by definition, she plans to marry. I had never met the, the fiancé. I had heard about him. A, a wonderful man from all of my interaction and everything that I, I had heard about him. The, the point I wish to make, though, is this. I have never seen her as happy, as not just happy. I'm going to put it in a, in a way that will offend the easily offended as 
radiant a female, as feminine as seeing her with him. She had, she is just as bright as ever, obviously. But she is not just a woman with a brain. She is now a woman. A young woman who happens to also have a fine brain. Not a brain in a woman's body, but a woman who has a brain. With the emphasis on woman. She was womanly. She was she was even sexy in a, in her way. It was it was a oh, oh a delight to see her this way. And by the way, I believe that she would agree with everything I said. She would not have agreed with this three years ago, let's say. But she would agree with it today. Now. You don't have to make the case that men need women because I don't know any man, I'm sure they exist, but very few men believe that they don't need a woman. That Nobody said a man without a woman is like a fish without a bicycle. They said it about women. One of the gargantuan lies of feminism and the left that has ruined Two going on three generations, massive numbers of people have been made unhappy by these doctrines. So, did you raise your daughter, were you raised to believe you don't need a man? That's my, that's my subject. Or were you raised to believe that it's really important? that you get married. It's important for you. It happens to be important for society, but it's important for you. Were you raised that way? Were you raised with the woman doesn't need a man idea? And I assume if you're listening to the show that you no longer hold that idea. If you still hold that idea, it's even better, and I really want to hear from you. But, that's that's the living question here. One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. Do you believe that? That a woman doesn't need a man. The sexes need each other. Now, obviously. I'm not talking about the gay human, the homosexual human. For a person who does not, uh, has no attraction to the opposite sex, it's a different story, obviously. And by the way, on, on occasion, on more than a few occasions, to a certain extent, that person that they do find of the same sex does offer them the fulfillment or something analogous to the fulfillment that a heterosexual person would have with a member of the opposite sex. And I am, 
I still believe in heterosexual marriage, but I also believe in telling the truth. Back in a moment. MyPillow is excited to bring you their biggest bedding sale ever, just in time for Christmas. Get the Giza Dream Bed Sheets for as low as $29.98. A set of pillowcases only $9.98. Rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. They also have blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles. They even have blankets for your pets. Get duvets, quilts, down comforters, body pillows, bolster pillows, and so much more. All with the biggest discounts ever. They're also extending their money-back guarantee for Christmas until March 1st, 2024, making them the perfect gifts for your friends, your family, and everyone you know. So go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 and you'll get huge discounts on all MyPillow bedding products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98 and get all your shopping done now while quantities last. MyPillow.com, promo code Prager. Male, female hour. Hello, everybody. Every Wednesday, second hour. And I was talking to you about this young woman, particularly bright, a very sterling academic record and intellectual achievements. And I met her with her fiancé after all those years of academic achievement. I've never seen her as happy, as feminine, as adorable as I did when I saw her with this man. So my question is, were you raised with the notion that a woman doesn't need a man was your daughter raised that way? And I'll tell you this, like very few people are raised outside of very traditional communities, generally religious Jewish or religious Christian, with the notion that a woman needs a man. It is almost as, it almost sounds, this is how effective the left has been, it almost sounds anti-woman to say a woman needs a man. It's not anti-man to say a woman a man needs a woman. That that's how effective the indoctrination has been. So how if you're a woman were you raised and how did you raise your girls if you have daughters? You realize the the inversion of reality that we have endured since World War II, including this truly sick notion that a woman doesn't need a man? What does that even mean? Doesn't need a man to do what? To be fulfilled? To be happy? To have a full life? To what? To make a living? That's right. Maybe not. Is that, that, that is it? Making a living? Wow. Very curious how you were raised and how you raised your daughters. 1-8 Prager 776 If you are of the generation that did hear that a woman 
without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. How did that line strike you? I know how it struck me when I when I was younger and the line was better known. Today you don't need the loan. You don't need that line. You don't need it to be known. Loan is a shortening of line that is known. <laughs> Just in case you're curious. Yes, it's a new new term. L O W N. That's how it's spelled. A line that is known as a loan. All right, let's see what you folks have to say here. Okay, Colleen in Pittsburgh, one of my favorite cities, actually. Hello, Colleen. Hi, Dennis. Great to talk with you again. So, I was raised definitely um, growing up in the seventies and early eighties of. Career comes first. You're going to go to college. You're going to put your career first. I didn't even want to get married when I was in my 20s. Um, ended up getting married, meeting the best boyfriend ever, and married him now for 35 years. But I brought my daughter up to want to be married, to um, want to have a partner in life. Uh, we're a Christian family, and, and she wants that as well. But she has put herself in this situation where she's not meeting anybody. She, you know, fortunately doesn't go out to bars, um, but she goes to a small church. She is an elementary education um, teacher, so works with all women. Um, just really hasn't found a way to put herself out there. Um, I'm convinced you should start your own dating service because she listens to you and would probably... Um, you know, she doesn't like online dating, but I think if you were in charge of it, she might. So, um, yeah, she does. So I haven't, well, thank you. Believe me, I I, actually, I would love to do so. It's not truly feasible. It's, it would take a Herculean effort to do it. And I would probably end up as hated as I am loved for having done it (laughs) because people who got disappointed or met a loser would blame me. <laughs> I totally get it. So I want to understand how old is she? She's twenty six. Okay. So this is fascinating. And let me go back to you for a moment. Were you raised in a Christian home? I was raised in the Catholic home. Yes. Okay, yes. Okay. Well, that home did not stress that you should get married? No. No. Um, My parents got divorced when I was 17, and so I think that had a lot to do with it, of not wanting to be married, because I didn't want to go through, you know, what my Uh parents had gone through. Uh-huh, I see. Yes, I got you. Uh And my husband, his parents got divorced, too. So when we got married, we we said that word will never be, you know, part of our dictionary. We are in this for life, and, um, you know, so, so my kids have seen a really strong marriage, um, but definitely you've seen, you know, two sets of grandparents that have been divorced, too. Did uh, Just out of curiosity, at your wedding, did all four parents attend? They did. They did not speak, yeah. but they attended, yes. Right. Did they walk you down the aisle? My dad did, yes. Your mom did not? No, because that's tra- it's traditional only it's the traditional. the dad or yeah, or because a, it, yeah it was not okay. a flight to my mom it was definitely right. traditional 
Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And and who walked your husband down? No one. He was at the altar with the priest. Okay. So, all right. So I'm probably thinking of Jewish weddings because Sean said to me, what are you talking about? This doesn't happen. So in, in Jewish weddings, the parents walk the, uh, generally uh, walk down, or many do. So uh, I, I, I've been to many non-Jewish weddings, but I, I didn't pay attention to who. I was just curious, uh, mostly curious to know that all four attended, which is good. Now let's go back to your daughter. So why doesn't your daughter use, I don't understand why your daughter doesn't use a Christian dating site. I, I have asked her that multiple times, and she just thinks that there's potentially danger to it. And I said, no, there's you can... Meet in public places, and you know your, you know my husband. There, there's, I go. think there's less potential danger on that because you, they don't know where you live. They don't even know your phone number. They 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 know any only you know maybe your email or or your or, or whatever uh, address mm-hmm. you want to give them for communicating. I'd like I need to talk to your daughter. Okay, next time, since you I said she respects that. me. Okay, that's a deal. I mean it. I'm very, I'm very interested in doing that. Yeah, Th- this notion that so many young women feel that there's no rush—that's driving me nuts. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello, everybody. Dennis Prager in New York City. Last night, Columbia University. Tonight, Socrates in the City. My dear friend, Eric Metaxas, one of the courageous men of the current period in which we live. Well, that's redundant. The current period. An important Christian thinker. Courageous Christian, courageous American. And so we're going to have a long dialogue about religion and life and the world. I So I know the VIP reception has been sold out for a while. I don't know if the actual event is sold out, but I guess if you go to Socrates in the city and you're in the New York area, or you could fly into New York, uh, you're close enough. And I know that sounds funny, but I'm not being funny. An uplifting event is uh, is worth the effort. There aren't that many. So that's uh, that's this evening. 
Last night I spoke at Columbia, and hopefully, I don't know if it was recorded. I mean, I recorded it, audio. I always record my speeches because that's my insurance against being misquoted or taken out of context, which is very common. So I spoke about the collapse of the universities and how it's related to how popular anti-Israel sentiment is on campuses. And what a sick world it is that is anti-Israel. It's just sick. It's a morally sick world. We live in a morally sick world. Wouldn't it be interesting to find out what percentage of people who are okay with men who say they're women competing in women's sports are anti-Israel? And what percentage of people who don't think it's okay are anti-Israel or is anti-Israel? What is their favorite word? Intersectionality. Well, there is intersectionality as it happens. Generally speaking, if you believe men can become women, you believe Israel is the villain and the Palestinians are the victims. When your brain, your conscience is defective, it tends to be defective in most arenas, or nearly all. So they they go together. And what's more a given on a campus than men can become women, and you are to assume they are a woman so that they can even compete in women's sports and shower with women with their intact male genitalia? And you can't say a word about it or you're a hater. So, yes, there is intersectionality. I should write an article on that. There really is, yes, Virginia, there really is intersectionality. So I spoke about the, first about the Palestinian-Israel-Arab-Israel conflict and made points about it that are so elementary, you would think that there's something unbelievable. As there was when I debated at Oxford, it's gone viral. Many, many millions of people have seen my talk at Oxford about seven years ago. And, And a lot of people think that I just gave it in the last couple of months since October 7th, because there's nothing that's different. Everything I said then is is as, is as accurate and as relevant today. And I pointed out how sick it was that Oxford would even have a debate who was the greater threat to Middle East peace, Hamas or Israel. And as I pointed out, it would be the first time in modern history that the free country, the democracy, is the villain, and the police state is the innocent party. But when it comes to Jews, everything is inverted, and it has been for thousands of years among the haters of Jews. We have a lot of morons on the uh, uh, the liberal side. I just read that there was a resolution. Where is this? I want to. I need to bring that resolution to everybody's attention. See if I can find that. 
there's a resolution that was brought was passed, but not all uh, not all Democrats, even the Jews uh, in the Democratic Party, uh, voted for it. They voted present; they wouldn't vote against it, uh, condemning anti-Semitism and including that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And so you had fools like Jerry Nadler saying, well, it's not true. Uh, That's the reason I voted present and didn't vote for the resolution. Anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. Right. So in other words, if you believe that the the only state on earth that should be destroyed is the Jewish state, that's not anti-Semitic. He said, well, there were Jews who were anti-Zionist. Yes, there were, and there still are. There were Jews who hate Israel, like George Soros and and Norman Finkelstein and other sick human beings. That's true. Uh, but but so what? It doesn't mean anything. It, the fact that there are a handful, there was more before Israel was founded, just as there were many uh, colonists, many American colonists, who were not for independence from the king. But once America was established, they didn't want America to stop being America. There's a big difference between being pro-British prior to the American Revolution and being pro-British after it. And I don't mean pro-British in a general sense, but in in the sense of being anti-American. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Zionism is part of Judaism, whether you like it or not. Okay, Judaism determines its own truth. Zion is 70 times or so mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. Zionism is simply the return to Israel. Jews who pray the requisite three times a day, pray three times a day, may you gather us from the four corners of the earth and return to Zion, your city. That's Jerusalem. Uh, there's such staggering ignorance that parades his knowledge like Jerry Nadler. Jerry Nadler knows as much about Judaism as I would say I, I may know more about Buddhism than he does about Judaism. The fact that he is a Jew is irrelevant. Most Jews are, are ignorant of Judaism. It's not an attack. It's just a statement. And he's telling people anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. Jerry Nadler knows Oh, God, the the arrogance of the ignorant. He's an example of it. So I talked about the the collapse of of the university and the prevalence of of genocidal Israel hatred on the campus. Got to be on a, an American campus today. We have now a, a uh, we have some of the uh, video and audio of this magnificent uh, congresswoman. She's the fourth ranking uh, Republican in, in the Congress, and Stefanik of uh, New York State, and. I was reading about her. She's an interesting person. I, I, as I said to uh, earlier, I want to get Elise Stefanik 
I don't know what the, the district is. I'm, obviously, it's not near New York City. She's New York's 21st congressional district. First Republican since 1993. She is chair of the House Republican Conference since 2021. She went to Harvard when Harvard had a decent reputation. Harvard's reputation has taken a, I, I, nothing is permanent, but I would say a, a long-term hit on, for many reasons, and deservedly so. I actually feel bad for kids who worked their tails off to get into Harvard, and now, by and large, it doesn't move anybody. Oh, you 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 just graduated from Harvard? Whoopie do. Basically, so are you a fool or are you not a fool? That's the question we now ask of Ivy League graduates. So listen to this this new heroine of mine, heroine as in female hero, not as in the drug. Elise Stefanik. Republican New York State with three university presidents, MIT, Harvard, Harvard, and University of Pennsylvania. Take it away. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to free speech... It's a yes or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of African Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech It's a yes or no question. Let me ask you this. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. Do you believe that type of hateful speech is contrary to Harvard's code of conduct, or is it allowed at Harvard? It is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you not say here that it is against the code of conduct at Harvard? We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech and not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? When you speech- testify that you understand that is the def- definition of intifada. Is that speech-, speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression 
even of views that are objectionable, You and I both know that's not the case. You were aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? As I observed earlier, I reject that characterization. It's the data shows it's true. And isn't it true that Harvard previously rescinded multiple offers of admissions for applicants and accepted freshmen for sharing offensive memes, uh, racist statements, sometimes as young as 16 years old? Did Harvard not rescind those offers of admission? That long predates my time as president. But you understand that Harvard made that decision to rescind those offers of admission. I have no reason to contradict the facts as you present them. Correct, because it's a fact. You're also aware that a Winthrop House faculty dean was let go over over who he chose to legally represent, correct? That was while you were dean. That is an incorrect characterization of what transpired. What's the characterization? I'm not going to get into details about a personnel matter. Well, let me ask you this. Will admissions offers be rescinded or any disciplinary action be taken against students or applicants who say, from the river to the sea or intifada, advocating for the murder of Jews? As I've said, that type of hateful, reckless, offensive speech is personally abhorrent to me. And today that no action will be taken. What action will be taken? When speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies, including policies against bullying, harassment, or intimidation, we take action. And we have robust disciplinary processes that allow us to hold individuals accountable. What action has been taken against students who are harassing and calling for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus? I can assure you we have robust what actions have been taken I'm not asking actions underway I'm asking what actions have been taken against those students given students rights to privacy and our obligations under FERPA I will not say more about any specific cases other than to reiterate that processes are ongoing do you know what the number one hate crime in America is I know that over the last couple of months, there has been an alarming rise of anti-Semitism, which I understand is the critical topic that we are here to discuss. That's correct. It is anti-Jewish hate crimes. And Harvard ranks the lowest when it comes to protecting Jewish students. This is why I've called for your resignation. And your testimony today, not being able to answer with moral clarity, speaks volumes. I yield back. One commentator noted that if you, what is the term dead name, a trans student or presumably teacher, that's now considered an act of violence. But calling for Israel's eradication is not. Dead name means so that, for example, if you have a guy like Leah Thomas who says he's a girl and then defeats women in women's swimming competitions, as happened at another university represented by a president there, University of Pennsylvania, that's considered violence, that your name was William. Calling Leah William would probably get you removed from Harvard. 
Well, it is interesting that Harvard has been... I, I knew that they were considered last for free speech. Uh, it's I don't know how you make that assessment, given that pretty much almost any university is tied for last. We'll be back in a moment. Dennis Prager here. And we have another video, audio, from the hearings in Congress in the House of Representatives of College of University Presidents. And who was the uh, who was the congressman this time, Sean? Burgess Owens of Utah. Take it away. I have a question um, regarding this this idea of segregation, Doctor Gay. Uh, Harvard is is now have graduations for black only graduates, Hispanic only graduates, and gay only graduates. How does that bring us together? as opposed to dividing us based on color, creed, and all the other things. And by the way, is it okay for a white group to say we don't want other minorities to be part of our graduation? Thank you for the question. There are few scenes that are more inspiring than being... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I, I'm going to ask you in a way that's going to be very quick because I have a little, little time. Is it okay to segregate people based on their color, yes or no? I oppose segregation. Okay, well, I do too, but it's happening on your campus, okay? Uh, Dr. Cornbooth, Cornbooth, I'm sorry. Uh, we have on your campus something called Chocolate City, where blacks only, uh, black only dorms, where whites are excluded. Is it okay also for whites to set up a white only dorm where minorities are excluded? You know, actually at MIT, our students affiliate, affiliate voluntarily with whichever dorm they want to. It's not exclusionary. It's actually um, positive selection by students which dorms okay, they good, want to Okay, good, good. This is awesome. Okay, this was a great moment, my friends. This is the president of MIT. So there are black, all black dorms. Is it okay with you? Well, it's voluntary. So voluntary segregation is okay with the president of MIT. See, I'm glad she had a chance... I don't blame the Congress people because they have so little time, as he explained. But it is fascinating to hear their response. So if segregation is voluntary, then it's okay to have an all-black dorm. Of course, it would not be okay to have an all-white dorm. By the way, I'm totally opposed to all-black or all-white dorms. It, it it runs against the entire principle. That's the irony. The principle, well, no, it doesn't run. I take it. There's no irony. The people who are for diversity, uh, what is it? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, <laughs> here's the irony. Diversity and inclusion are somewhat mutually contradictory. You, because the diversity of the campus produces dorms by color. So that's not inclusive. In other words, DEI means nothing. It just means let us tear down everything that has uh, that have formed 
the fundamental values of our society in the United States. So this is really remarkable. The president of MIT, if it's voluntary, it's not a problem if the segregation by race is voluntary. Continue, please. Positive selection by students which dormitory they want to live in. Okay, so it's okay for blacks to not make whites feel included. Is it okay for whites not to let blacks feel included on your campus? We're talking about segregation. And it's obviously happening on your campuses. You know, I think it's really important to say that there's a distinction between sending an exclusionary message and looking to other students for common experiences and support. Okay, okay, let me just, let me just, I'm sorry, I'm running out of time. Well, so oh, you see, it's really a shame. I, I, hold on. I would, I would like to know, what really, what is the difference? What is the difference between being exclusionary and want to include only people who look like you? Continue, please. In 1960s, it would have been okay for whites and blacks to segregate themselves because they felt more like the people they're with. I disagree very, very much. But let me just say this. Uh, if in case we discover, and this is for everybody here real quick in the last, last few minutes, that there's a direct link from DEI and CRT to the growth of Marxist-centrist groups like BL, uh, BLM. All right, we'll leave that down. It got convoluted here. Okay, so uh, we'll just stop at, at, at what we just heard. I'm telling you, just just for bringing college presidents, university presidents, to a hearing, it's worth having Republicans control one of the houses. We'll back. We'll be back in a moment. Oh, I don't think you realize. One of the great products, you know it, Relief Factor. Still amazed that every one of you who has. Joint or muscle pain has not tried it. It's an anti-inflammatory without ibuprofen, with no drugs, safe, use as much as you want. I use it regularly. So does my wife, basically almost everybody in my life. A lot of people have these pains, doesn't matter what age you are, intermittent or chronic. Try it for three weeks for $19.95 plus shipping. As I constantly tell you, 1995 is about the price of lunch these days, even at fast food places, as it happens. So if you have to go without lunch for a day or two, it's worth trying because the pain is, is much worse than not having lunch. Anyway, I, I do that regularly. So give it a try. ReliefFactor.com, 800-500-8384, the three-week quick start. Dennis Prager here. And bringing to you the what happened in the House. We're, we're living in a crazy time. I'll, I'll give you some more examples. More defeats for women in women's sports and... Every feminist organization I am aware of is okay with men competing against women in women's sports, so long as the man says he's a woman. I I have said from the beginning of my broadcast career, feminism had no interest in women. It it is over it the the I don't mean every feminist, 
I mean the feminist movement, feminist institutions, the movement. Just like the LGBTQ movement is secondarily preoccupied with gays and and lesbians and bisexuals and so on, it is primarily to undo the values of Western civilization vis-a-vis the sexual identity, vis-a-vis nuclear family. All left-wing organizations are are there to undermine Western civilization's core values. That's their purpose. Feminist organizations use women, uh, the human rights uh, organizations, as they're called, of, for LGBTQ. They, they use LGBTQ people, and uh, the communists use workers, but that's their intent. Transgender cyclists once again take gold and silver at major female competition. This is from the New York Post. Two transgender cyclists have once again snagged first and second place at a major women's competition, with some calling their victories outrageous and an assault on the rights of biological female riders. Tessa Johnson, 25, took first place in the women's single speed category at the Illinois State Cyclocross Championships on Sunday, and Evelyn Williamson, 30, placed second. The two, who previously sparked outrage when they took the same positions in the Chicago Cyclocross Cup in October, were pictured on the podium with Kristen Chalmers, the sole biological female to medal. I mean, there is an obvious answer. No woman should compete if a man is in a a competition. If they all stopped competing, it would end this farce overnight. But they don't. Because people are not fighters, even for themselves. They rather lose to men than fight. Who's Johnson? Johnson, the one who... The man who took first place calling himself a woman also came in third in the women's half race. She previously competed in men's categories. It says she in the New York Post article. So I'm reading it that way. But it was only after switching to compete as a transgender female that Johnson started picking up wins. This picture is a farce. Two men and a woman. And the woman is smiling. Why is she smiling? She'd have been in first place were it not for these two narcissists. Why is she smiling? It's a a legit question. (laughs) Kristen Chalmers. We can't pay to have guests because it doesn't work that way in radio, but I, I would pay to have her if I could. I just asked, why are you smiling? You were robbed of first and second place. So that's the latest. It's regular now. It's regularly happening that I read about this. Hmm. By the way, I want to salute someone who... uh, where is he? Oh, yes, here it is. We have a terrific guy at uh, PragerU. 
Javier de Rousseau, or Xavier, as he's known. And unbeknownst to me, he put out a tweet. It's really not my business, but I just find it crazy how extremists from Gaza started a war and are now crying on a global stage that they're losing the war that they started. How about you surrender, return the hostages that you kidnapped, and free the Palestinians from Hamas. That is how you bring an end to the suffering and war that you started. Like, that's about as concise. Xavier, well done. Proud of you. That that pretty much does, uh, does explain it. There's a piece here that uh, asks, how do we know that the Hamas figures of Gazans who've been killed in Israeli bombings are accurate. How do you how do we know that? Why do we trust that that's the case? Huh. We don't know, but they're cited by everybody as if Hamas is as reliable a police state of terrorists is as reliable in its reporting as the democratic western state of Israel. My favorite point on that is when Israel is attacked for being a western, an outpost of western civilization in the Arab world, in the Muslim world. They're right. That's exactly what it is. But since the left craps on Western civilization, they crap on Israel. But for those who think Western civilization has been the most moral that has yet been developed as a civilization, it's actually a big compliment to Israel. So you choose. This should be the litmus test. Do you think it is a bad thing that Israel is a Western civilization outpost in the Arab Middle East? Or not? Or the Muslim Middle East, because we'll include Iran, which is not Arab. 1 8 Prager 776, return momentarily. All right, everybody, Dennis Prager in New York City. One more day in New York City, then I return. Don't forget. A week without a flight is an incomplete week for me. Corey in Pasadena, California, DP here. Hello. Hello, Dennis. Uh, Are you hearing me? I absolutely am. All right. Uh, I am in your debt, Dennis. Uh, As a result of your program, I have a brand new personal hero. It is this uh, Stefanik Congresswoman. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it might, I thought you might find you might find it interesting a conversation I had with my wife. Two things are true in my in my life. Um, I'm married to the most wonderful woman on earth. I've never been happier, and I am a conservative, and she is a she is a liberal. I asked her this. Is morning, she a leftist or a liberal? Uh, I'm sorry to say, I think she's leaning left because of the church we attend. Okay, go ahead. So uh, I asked her, 
Uh, I listened to the whole transcript. Uh, I went and found it. I asked her, do you believe that a call for genocide against all Jews is wrong? And she said, yes. And, and then she follows it with a, an attack on Israel, a verbal attack on Israel. And I said, um, and I said, my God, I turned into the Stephanic woman for a couple of, uh, couple minutes. I said, do you realize you just sort of changed the subject? I asked you a yes or no. Uh, do you believe that a call for um, genocide against Jews is wrong? Yes. And if Israel is, I'm like, okay. Uh, and then I tried something else. I said, do you believe that a call for genocide by any group against any group is wrong? And she said, yes. And if Israel is, and then she continues. And I, at that point, I gave up. I thought, okay, uh, I don't want to put any more strain on the marriage that, uh, that I have to. I found That's that fascinating. Correct. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, disturbing. all right. So he, so I'll tell you what I, I, I yeah, I, I don't blame you and I don't want to in any way disrupt what is otherwise apparently a fine marriage. The villainizing of Israel when Israel is the victim is part of the the, the moral upside-downedness in which we live. Like, America is a bad country. I mean, the, these are... These are the moral inversions that the left has engaged in. So we're fighting... I'll see you tomorrow. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.